Morning, everybody. Caught me happy mid-sip. Happy hump day. And welcome to the news agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. Morning, John. Hi, morning, Susie. So uh, this is the People's Paper Review. Remember, so get into the comments. Ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to fight a defamation case on the grounds of whether or not you are exactly who everyone already knew you were. So what have we got for you today? Well, the Mirror has splashed on news overnight from New York that former President Donald Trump has lost his legal fight against a woman who had accused him of rape. More on that in a minute. But first, I want to go to page two of today's paper where our own version of Donald Trump, uh, Boris Johnson, who I should say has not been accused of any rapes, but he's very like him otherwise, is looking his usual smiling self in that photo. And we learn that he is referred to Sue Gray, the highly respected and very long experienced civil servant leading the investigations into lockdown parties in Downing Street at the time, which he later admitted, remember, and paid a criminal penalty for. He described her as a psycho. John, take us through this. How did we get to this absolute nadir of misogyny and ridiculousness? Yeah, so this is a new podcast that's coming out from Gito Harry, who was Boris Johnson's spin doctor in the dying months of his premiership. And he was out giving interviews yesterday to promote that. And he was asked, what does Boris Johnson think of Sue Gray, who was, as you say, the senior civil servant who led that investigation into Partygate? And Gito Harry said that Boris Johnson called her psycho Sue behind uh, closed doors, that it became increasingly frustrating. <clears throat> her investigation into him and you know I think it's worth going back and thinking what exactly what role did Sue Gray play in this remember we were talking about the Sue Gray report coming out for ages and ages and ages but actually what was the big thing in the end was that police investigation into the parties rather than what anything that Sue Gray did she basically gathered all the evidence together all the kind of the door access um, data to know when people were coming and going Uh, any photos that people gave her of parties taking place in Downing Street. But at the end of the day, it was really the police investigation which got to Boris Johnson, which led to him being fined for that birthday party in the cabinet room. It also led to Rishi Sunak being fined as well. But you can see why they're lashing out because... You know, Boris Johnson is obviously not in there anymore. They like to blame that on Partygate, think he was removed unfairly. But there's still a lot of pressure on him. You know, he's still facing that privileges investigation into whether he lied to MPs about the parties that took place in Downing Street in lockdown. And I just think this is a particularly great look, particularly it just dredges this up all over Mm -hmm. again. And kind of all those memories of... You know, people like the Queen, the late Queen at the funeral of Prince Philip, you know, just being there by herself, sat by herself in that church uh, without her family close by at the same time that the night before Boris Johnson aides were having a massive party in Downing Street, which led to the swing being broken in the garden, the suitcase full of wine, etc., etc., I think it's a big mistake for Boris Johnson supporters to keep bringing this stuff up over and over again. Yeah, you would think from the way they're talking about her that Sue Gray had not only organised the parties, but sent out the invitations and threatened to fire people if they didn't turn up and get lashed. 
at four o'clock in the morning on the eve of Prince Philip's funeral, wouldn't you? Um, I'm pretty certain that wasn't her role in the whole thing. And like you say, the police investigated it anyway. And the reason that Boris Johnson finally got evicted from number 10 was because of the Chris Pincher business and the fact that he wouldn't um, suspend the whip from, well, his own deputy chief whip over sex allegations. Uh, which also we haven't got to the bottom of. Um, and uh, he lost his party as a result. It wasn't anything to do with Sue Gray. Kath says, Johnson is projecting towards Sue. It's plain and simple, turning his wrongs onto her. I'll tell you what they're doing, Kath, right? They're blaming the nearest woman, which is how these people were raised in the schools they went to and in the families they were raised in. They find the nearest woman and say, it's her, it's that witch, she's a psychopath, without knowing anything about any of that stuff. Um and get into the questions, everybody. What do you think? Do you think it's reasonable to blame Sue Gray for all this? Or as John's pointed out there, do you think that there's a bit more to it? Now, good so Harry, it's got to be said, John. Um, I'm not surprised that he's managed to make things worse and bring all this up again, because he's not, how can I put this? He's not renowned for playing things down, is he? His, his skill set does not lie in de-escalation, shall we say. In fact, in his time working for Boris, he quite often made things worse by saying just a terrible thing. I think, didn't he say once, you know, Boris isn't completely stupid or something like that? Do we, in short, I mean, do we believe what he's saying? So, I mean, yeah, in the time that Gita Harry was in number 10, rather than fanning, uh, getting rid of the flames, he seemed to be fanning them. Remember on his first day, there was, he turned up in Downing Street with bottles of water for the team in the press office as if he was there to sober them up, which I don't think went down particularly well with people working <laughs> in number 10. And then he gave that interview to, um, uh, it was like a Welsh language channel about going into the seat. And he said that Boris Johnson and him had sung a song together. I really wish I could remember what it was. And it was as if he thought because he'd done the interview in Welsh that it would never get translated into English and people would never realise what he was saying. I um, will survive. It was I will survive. That Thank is it. Know. That is it. Well remembered. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there was loads of different instances where uh, Gito Harry was in there and it seemed like one of his kind of main objectives was to raise his own profile maybe rather than sorting things out for Boris Johnson but there was one interesting thing he did say in that interview on LBC yesterday when he was promoting this podcast and he was asked did he think it was possible for Boris Johnson to make another comeback and he said that he had thought that after Boris Johnson left Downing Street that people would be craving for a Boris Johnson return cravings the word he used but he was saying that he now realised that he didn't think that was very realistic and that who knew what might happen after a general election if Rishi Sunak loses a general election, maybe. But he didn't seem to think that we were very close to an imminent return by Boris Johnson. No, it's all fascinating, isn't it? And it gives me an opportunity to tell my Guto Harry story. Now, years Go ago... On. Right. When he when he was uh, when Boris was in uh, London mayor, Guto was his spin doctor there as well, which is why he got brought in after Partygate uh, in the interregnum. Guto had been off doing the normal things journalists do and when they're unemployed. Um, and uh, we had a story. And this is when Boris Johnson was mayor. So he was cycling to um, a city hall every day. And we had a story about um, how he had uh, been off on his bike in the morning and um, we had got photographs of him running red lights, going through pedestrian crossings when there were people on the mountain, the pavement, going down the wrong way street, all the stuff you would expect Boris Johnson to do 
in any situation, right? Just see a rule and break it fundamentally. And I found out Gutto Harry, and I said, hello, Gutto, it's Susie from the Mirror. Um, we've got a story about Boris, he's done. And I read out the, the charge sheet to him, he's done this, 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 and this. And Gutto said, well, look, off the record, off the record, said, I've spoken to Boris about this sort of thing. This is my Welsh accent. Sounds a bit mm. Pakistani, but we're going to carry on with it. Um, I've spoken to Boris about that sort of thing. And he said, you know, he's very keen on this, with the rules of the road and everything. They would never, ever do anything like that. It's just not him. He's really anti-bad sort of cycling. And I said, well, OK, Gutto, but we had a photographer behind a bike, behind him on a bike with a camera the whole way. We've got, we've got it all on video, mate. And Gutto stopped for a moment and said, well, in that case, Boris is very, very sorry. And that was the end of that. And we just had a, we just had a comment saying that <laughs> Boris was everything. But that's how you catch out a spin doctor, which is to get them on video. Um, now, that's just, that's Gutto and as he was. But does this make any difference, do you think? I mean, to the general public, I mean, this kind of thing, this kind of attack on Sue Gray. The other attacks that we've seen with her, because she's gone for that job as chief of staff with Keir Starmer, which has gone to the appointments committee, now, is that going to make any difference to people who, um, it, but whether they not they think the parties happened or whether they mattered? Where are we on this sort of the, the standards report about Boris misleading Parliament? Is it going to affect that? Yes, yeah, so we've had that report, which has been kind of being prepared for these MPs and what's called the Privileges Committee. And they obviously have that big hearing with Boris Johnson. I don't know when it was now, a couple of months ago, it went on for about four hours in the afternoon. He was grilled on what exactly had gone on in Downing Street. And it sounds like that investigation is coming to kind of a close now. They had been saying that they wouldn't publish anything in advance of the local elections, which took place last Thursday. Uh, but now, obviously, they've been and gone. So it's quite possible that we see the result of that report maybe in the next few weeks. Now, Mike says, a Tory newspaper has a... I can't believe this. Are you sure, Mike? Has a column today saying Rishi Sunak was, and I quote, the unexpected winner, <laughs> end quotes, from Thursday's elections. I really hope this spurs him into calling a snap general. How can someone who's lost a thousand seats be called the winner? Is that just because I suppose Labour didn't take all that 1,000 of them and they were fairly evenly split between the Lib Dems and Labour? Just madness, madness. Uh, who knows who's writing in these right wing newspapers, John? Certainly never you or I, I'm sure. Um, right, we do need to uh, move on to the main story of the day, uh, which is news, if we can call it that, which says that a man caught on tape a few years ago boasting that he could sexually assault women has in fact sexually assaulted a woman. Uh, and perhaps several, judging from the number of alleged victims who gave evidence in this particular case. Now, this was a defamation case, John, a civil suit, not a criminal action. And it was brought by a journalist who said he had attacked her years ago. And she claims he had defamed her when he then sort of belittled the accusations and criticised her. So what's the court decided? Yeah, so this is a writer called E. Jean Carroll. She said that Donald Trump had sexually assaulted her in a department store in New York in the 1990s. She wrote this in a book. Then Donald Trump said that she'd made the whole thing up, that she was a liar. He'd never even ever met her. So then she took him to court for defamation, saying that by saying that she was a liar, that he'd effectively trashed her reputation. And the court in New York's found in her favour ordered him to pay her $5 million in damages, which is around £4 million. And uh, this is just the latest kind of 
court defeat for Donald Trump. Remember a few weeks ago, there was that court case also in New York about whether he'd made payments to Stormy Daniels, the porn star. Uh, so that one's also going through the courts. And yeah, Donald Trump is not in a great place. But the problem with the Republican Party in the US seems to be that whatever he does, it seems to be fine for his supporters. And he seems able to build this grievance narrative. So yesterday, as soon as his court verdict came out, he was tweeting that this was the greatest witch hunt of all time, that it was a disgrace, that he still had no idea who E. Jean Carroll was, uh, that this was a political witch hunt. And this does seem to kind of rally Trump supporters who do seem to buy this whole thing that this is all a conspiracy against their hero, Donald Trump. He's been badly treated by the American establishment. And it doesn't seem like it's going to have a massive impact on his bid to be the next American president. You'd think with most people, they would think, oh, hang on a minute, I feel so much shame that I won't be putting myself forward. Not that we know that, well, we know that Boris Johnson, um, Boris Johnson, <laughs> um, feel any shame at all. Very different characters, um, clearly. And, uh, and we know that in the 2016 US presidency race, that Donald Trump actually said that he could go out and shoot someone on Fifth Avenue in New York and it wouldn't cost him any votes. And quite depressingly, that does seem to be the case, that it doesn't seem to be doing anything to halt his bandwagon as he tries to make a comeback to become newest president. Yeah, and as Strav says there, he's quoting that thing, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't matter. And as another viewer has just said there, he should be in prison. Now, the fact is, I think, pretty much, is that the reason that E. Jean Carroll put this in a book uh, around the time of Me Too and there's lots of other allegations about people coming out um, is perhaps because she didn't want to go to the police. It was a long time ago uh, and there may be that there's not an awful lot of evidence left of it knocking around anyway now. People that would have witnessed or seen or anything heard about it. But also the criminal standard of proof in the States, same as here, is higher than the civil standard of proof. So she had more chance of winning the defamation case than she would have done of actually getting him in jail doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means that maybe someone's made a judgment. Helen says, I thought us Brits were mad with Boris Johnson. You Americans are insane. A man like that for president, for God's sake. Now, she wasn't raped, maybe, um, but she was sexually assaulted. The court has found. Um, and definitely she was denigrated afterwards when she decided to speak about it. But none of this is particularly surprising because we know from that Access Hollywood tape that was leaked in the run-up to um, Trump's first run to the White House, that that's just the sort of guy he was, that he thought you could just grab a woman and do what you liked. And now, despite this, some of our viewers have pointed out, despite the riots in the Capitol, despite losing tax cases against his companies, despite facing more legal cases, Trump's still the most popular Republican in the US to take on Joe Biden in two years' time at the next US general election. Now, John, is it possible anyone could explain why American Republicans, okay, conservatives who believe very fervently in the rule of law and in Christian scripture, why are they so keen on having a criminal sex pig in the White House? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I struggle to be able to explain that uh, when you put it that way. Um, I mean, who knows? There seems to be some people on the 
Kremlin side who still seem to think that Donald Trump is an election winner. I'm not sure if many people in those swing states where the kind of race will be decided when it actually gets to voters, when they get to choose, do you want a Republican or do you want a Democrat in the White House? I just think that I struggle to see how uh, many of these people will actually want to put their cross next to or their stamp on their American voting machines next to Donald Trump's name. But we did have this all over again, as you say, in 2016 with that Access Hollywood tape, and he still managed to get into Mm. the White House. I don't know. You speak to um, Republicans or you see what Republicans say in the media. Mike Pence, who was Trump's vice president in the first uh, Trump presidency, hopefully the last Trump presidency, (laughs) he said that he still thinks the most important thing to Americans aren't issues like this about morals and what Donald Trump may or may not have done with women. He thinks the most important thing to them is what's in their wallet and how the economy's doing. Um, but I'm just not sure that Donald Trump's even got a clear plan to deal with the economy rather than saying lots of big promises at rallies, which don't necessarily lead to concrete action in power. Yeah, and it's just, it is still just sort of talking and defending himself rather than sort of coming up with a big idea or a plan as to what to do. He did at least have that when he ran for the presidency. Not that it was a very good idea, but and the state the economy is in now, arguably, is partly due to Trump because he was in power not that long ago. But what do you think, everybody? Do you think Trump's got a chance at the next US general election? Do you think he's going to win? Do you think he's actually going to manage to stump Joe Biden this time? Or do you think he's going to lose again? Big Mike says, supporting someone found in court to be a sexual predator isn't likely to help the GOP chances in 2024. Diehard Trump fans will vote for him, but moderate Republicans will stay away in droves. This is the thing, isn't it? You've got the Trump base, the working class, the Rust Belt towns who voted for Trump in big numbers in 2016. And his narrative of being persecuted works for them because they feel persecuted. They feel the system's out to get them, too. So it works for them and that his base is still there. But how does it work for, you know, the soccer mums aged 33 to 49? Uh, in the in the Midwest, how does it work to perhaps Democrat voters who might not like Joe Biden or Kamala Harris and might, in other circumstances, vote for the other guy in order to get rid of them? You know, it it's not necessarily completely in the bag, is it, John? Even though from you know from our effete British view, perhaps it's all a bit crazy what those colonials are up to. Um, it, it's still not even you know in their terms and in 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 that country, it's not just because Trump is popular with. Trumpkins doesn't mean he's going to to walk it again. Yeah, and even though it does seem at the moment that he has got this momentum that cannot be stopped, that things like this don't seem to get in any way uh, in his way, there are many stages to getting back into the White House. You've got to first win win over Republicans and get that nomination to be on the Mm -hmm. ticket. And then you've obviously got to fight that election against Joe Biden. We know that Joe Biden has had some issues himself in his presidency. There's lots of questions in America about his age. He would be in his, I think it's his mid 80s if he did uh, stay on. Biden would be 81, I think, if he stayed on. Right. And so he would be, so 81 at the start, 81. 81 or 83. I think it'd be 81 at the time of the election. Right, so he would be 86 at the end of his time, or 85, I can do my maths, at the end of his time as president. 
And so there are questions about, is Joe Biden the right person to be on the Democratic ticket? He has, uh, he's going to be their candidate for the election. So it's going to be a tricky one. Who knows? Who knows what stumbles that Joe Biden might have between then and now? Remember when Hillary Clinton was running and there was that moment when... She, she, she had um, she had pneumonia or something. And she had a bit of a collapse, didn't she? Near a car, a bit of a stumble at some September the 11th memorial event, mm. and that seemed to make big headlines, and that raised big questions about whether she was healthy enough to be president. And so, yeah, who knows what might happen in the next few months on the campaign trail with Joe Biden or with Donald Trump. No, it's all it's all got to be played for. It's got to be said. Um, now, what do you think, everybody? Strauss says politics is not about any policies. It's about optics. That's what Trump gets. And Boris tried to replicate. Culture wars start to play a massive role in controlling those optics. I suppose if, if Trump moves on to some of the culture wars, then uh, he may be playing that game, Strauss. Uh, I know he does play some of it anyway, but he, he, at the moment he seems to put himself at the centre of a culture war. And it's it's his bit of America against everyone else's bit of America. And of course, his bit of America, his base doesn't really work out that he's not of there. He's, you know, he's he is the elite and he's busy telling them that the elite's the problem. But I suppose, like um, Mike Pence was saying, John, just some people, it doesn't matter in the States. You know, this is the economy matters more than the character of the guy in charge to some people. Well, I just like to have a little word, if I might, with America as a Brit, someone who's just had someone a bit like this running our country. It does make a difference. It sets the tone. It creates a, a moral vacuum at the heart of power. And it means that when things come to a crunch and things are always going to come to a crunch when you're running a country, the person who has to make the really tough calls in a split second either cannot make the right call or someone around them is having to do it for them. And that means you're not being governed by the person you elected. You're being governed by either the madman's whims or by an unelected official of some sort. And that is not democracy. That is not what America was supposed to be about. That's a dictatorship. And you want to throw in the fact that he's already watched his supporters storm the Capitol. I mean, you know, do you really think he's going to stop there, America? I, I doubt it. No, he would not. He's going to carry on, isn't he? But I suppose the real doozy here, John, is you know, that whether someone who is a sex pig who is going to be 78 by then, by the time of the election, is going to be taking on a non-sex pig of 81 by then, and each of them are going to be arguing that the other one's a bit senile, because Biden has his gaffes and his dentures seem to keep slipping out, and Trump, who said that he, E. Jean Carroll wasn't his type and he didn't recognise her at all, during the case he was shown a photograph of her at the time of the assaults, and he mistook her for his second wife, Marla Maples. So, John, I mean, the first Trump run at the White House was exciting for all the wrong reasons. Is the next one going to be a bit dull for all the wrong reasons, too? You know, a couple of old men who can't quite remember what's what. I don't know. I think that anything involving Donald Trump, he's one of those people who kind of draws all the oxygen he is. For like good or bad, he is someone who grabs attention. He's someone who's interesting. He is slightly unpredictable, although in many ways he is predictable. But some things you're like, well, that's no surprise that Donald Trump's done it, or that's no surprise. It's the way he's responded. But remember back to those presidential debates between him and Hillary Clinton, when he the one when he was stalking her around the stage, and it was all a bit strange. Mm. I, I don't know. I think anything with Donald Trump is fairly interesting, and him versus Joe Biden, I think, would be 
quite an interesting fight and no doubt would get quite scrappy. Yeah, I wonder if they're both going to get injected with vitamins before they go on the stage for the presidential debates. Strange business they have in America, isn't it? Funny lot. It's because they stopped drinking tea and started on the coffee. It's a terrible idea all the way around. Right. Thank you for that, John. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. Now, we have managed to find some good news in the world, and it's about another white man who's a pain in the neck. Here it is. Yes, nothing but middle-aged and misogynist today on this show. Now, when the Russian bear celebrates victory over the Nazis at the end of the Second World War, they have an anniversary every year. They, by tradition, right, they parade all their military hardware through Red Square. They give long, tug-thumping speeches that have lasted for hours in the past. It takes, it takes just as long to watch all the missiles and the planes and the personnel march past. I remember seeing it on the telly when I was a kid. It took forever. Yesterday... For Victory Day 2023, um, was it a year now, a year and a bit since the uh, invasion of Ukraine, there was barely anyone there to take part in the parade. Putin spoke for just 10 minutes, only the heads of a few of his puppet states turned up, and the best bit of kit they had on show, wait for it, was an 80-year-old Soviet-era tank, a T-34. John, is this proof, do you think, that Putin now leads a country that's not so much a bear as barely there? (laughs) Um, yes. Uh, I mean, you just look at the statistics and the amount of weaponry that Putin has lost. Remember, right at the start, in the lead up to that Ukrainian war, when he was putting all the troops and tanks on the borders, there was a real concern that he would just be able to strike, just go straight in, take over all of Ukraine, storm the capital, Kiev, and just win. And that would be it. And it would be a very quick thing. And obviously, we know that it hasn't quite worked out like that for him. I think the latest statistics show that uh, Russia's lost about 3,700 tanks in Ukraine. And they're having to actually bring out loads of old tanks from storage because they've lost so many. These are tanks from the World War II era tanks in the 1940s, 1950s. that They're suddenly having to dust off and put on the battleground. And that clearly shows desperation. And these tanks obviously old. They're not like tanks are built now. And so, you know, I was reading somewhere saying they're basically steel coffins because they're tanks that you put out on the battlefield that modern weapons were able to just pierce straight through them, destroy them. And it just does show complete desperation on the part of Russia. And it does show yet again that this war in Ukraine has not worked worked out at all how Putin hoped it would. No, exactly. there's not enough WD-40 in the world to get those tanks moving again, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but this is one of the good aspects, OK, of the sanctions. Now, when the, the war started and the West sort of announced sanctions against Russia, it's kind of thing that we don't really notice. You just hear it's a word. Right. But the sanctions that they have actually imposed on Russia have stopped them getting the raw materials to build new bits of kit and equipment and munitions and stuff like that. They have stopped them having a flow of money to pay for some of these things to get shipped in. So while they are getting some stuff replaced in Ukraine, generally speaking, once you blow up a tank, that's a tank gone. You can't just roll another one off the production line to replace it. And that's one of the good things that sanctions has managed to do, which is that once Russia has expended itself, it it can't really stock up again to carry on the war. So perhaps we're now at a stage where 
Russia and Ukraine, which didn't have much of an armed forces to start with, they're, they're almost now on a parity. And uh, perhaps we're getting to the point where they're just not going to be able to carry on this conflict much longer. It's going to come to peace talks, which would be, I think, welcome bit of good news all round. And when that happens, it's definitely going to be in this section of the show. But until then, we've had today, we've had uh, the middle-aged misogynist calling a woman a psycho because she found out he was a bad boy. We've had uh, a middle-aged, well, older than middle-aged misogynist um, attacking a woman he's now got to pay £5 million to because he lied about her. Uh, and now we've got a middle-aged misogynist, um, another warmonger as well, who's run out of stuff to make a war with. So generally speaking, it's looking fairly positive. I would say, for anyone who's not a middle-aged misogynist. Um, thank you, John, for taking us through that stuff today. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. We will see you all again on Monday next week, our first Monday in two weeks. I've actually got to get up and work on a Monday morning. Um, for next Monday for another edition of the News Agenda, when we'll go through the biggest stories of the day. If you're listening to us on podcasts, please leave a review so other people can find us. And until then, everybody, thanks very much for taking part, and uh, we'll see you next time. Tatty bye. <laughs>